1: You can also follow us on Twitter or even be our friend at Facebook.com. If you'd like to talk to a real person, we can be reached at 323-660-1175. And don't forget, Skylight Books depends on listeners like you to help support us. So whether you're in our neighborhood or browsing online, buy a book or two to help ensure that we'll be around for a long, long time. Thanks and enjoy. Here she is to help us celebrate National Poetry Month, Terry Wolverton. so much for being here
2: with us this afternoon Um, you're going to get to hear the work of ten poets uh, today who collectively come together every Saturday as poets at work Um, but all are accomplished and have big vast wide poetry lives um, outside of Saturday mornings also Um, and Part of those lives include uh, the production of books for some people. So we have two books from Kim Dower, uh, both Air Kissing on Mars and Slice of Moon. We have The Silence of Doorways from Sharon Danizio And we have My Name on Top of Yours by Yvonne M. Estrada. Um, and I like that our bookshelf keeps getting fatter. Um, So that's good, and uh, they even have a poetry book of mine up here too. Uh, it's National Poetry Month, so I want to encourage you to uh, enjoy some poetry, read some poetry, buy some poetry, um, and to support Skylight Books. Uh, this is really this bookstore is a treasure. It's uh, an increasingly rare phenomenon that uh, independent bookstores are able to thrive and support local authors and and Skylight really does this. So um, try not to go home today without spending a little money, if you can. Um, You're going to hear poems in lots of different styles, with lots of different strategies. I'm going to ask that um, as a poet is reading, you wait for him or her to read all of his or her poems before you applaud. Poets are, like many other people, are kind of insecure. <laughs> so, you know, if I, I'm likely to think, oh, they really clapped a lot for the one before, but they didn't clap for this one. And it just, it just messes with your mind. <laughs> so um, e- each poet has a set of a few poems, and when they're done, you'll know, and then you can um, celebrate them. All right, without further ado, our first reader. Please welcome Helen Yeoman.
3: Great! I haven't even done anything yet. <laughs> oh, I think this is the the one level. Hi! Thank you all so much for being here today um, to celebrate Poetry or National Poetry Month. I have a few selections that I'm going to be reading for you. Um, the first piece. Let's see if. Okay, everybody can hear. All right, the first piece um, that I wrote is a hazal. For those of you who aren't familiar with that particular form, I believe it's an ancient Persian form. Excellent. That is um, couplets that can stand alone um, or correlate, but basically each couplet should be able to stand on its own. The last word of the second line in each stanza must be the same. And each line must contain the same number of syllables. You can choose how many. So I went with 15. So this uh, this hazal I wrote in October of last year, just to put it in some context. And for those of you who may not have gotten to this part in US history yet, um, Congress has 535 members, just so you know. It'll be coming up later, OK? Excellent. So for our younger um, Americans out there, all right dry spell. My writing pen ran out of ink. I've yet to buy a refill. With autumn's arrival, sunlight shrinks. Spring will bring a refill. Tomorrow, I turn 37. Will this be the year I... My flesh and I are finally synced, seeking hot mail refill. I'm teaching kids about the 80s and Ethiopia. The buzzard looms where the huddled child stinks. Both wait for refill. The LA river strolls past my place. Three more months till it runs. Sea of concrete's impossible to drink, even post-refill. Before furloughs, non-essentials launched a rocket into space. We the people on brink need 535 refills. Tonight at work, I was asked to FedEx a condom, just one. I've been cured of writer's block, I think, by a latex refill. Now that leaky pipes are fixed, my barren closet needs new clothes, 37 Helen can shop for those, and more ink refills. This next poem was written as a response to a previously published poem called Follow Me Like Bright Stars by Robert Lee Brewer. I'm not going to read that one, but I will read my response. (laughs) It's called Igniting. Why build something? Instead, let's abandon those bright stars. Hunker down in the back seat. Listen to foxes scratch leaves in moonless woods, our fingers fumbling. Hungry, let's shed clothes. Find the river, brush the mountain, flicker and spark like fireflies. This next poem is called The Mug My Aunt Made. Tonight, I sip tea from a mug my Aunt Janice molded and spun. Brown tree rings of clay stretch up, curve into the lip. Below, waves of sky blue melt into olive as if hugging the mountain range at whose feet my Aunt built her house with her lover. Further down, Colors blend. Purple, rose, indigo, sienna streaking across the bottom, like the painted desert. I fit three fingers through the thick handle. There's even a pressed platform on which to rest my thumb. I look like my aunt. Perhaps that's why she sent her mug home with me. Maybe it's because we both dream in Italian, recite our prayers through art. Or maybe it's her secret way of telling me that she too knows how it feels to be broken and haunted by ghosts from the past. Folding my palms around the same piece of earth, my aunt shaped and smoothed, I study the mug's glazed over palette. I think about the message I received from my mother earlier this morning. Wonder if these same shades can also be found in the Mediterranean where my aunt was sailing, celebrating her 10-year anniversary. And if the hues bled together when the blood vessel inside her brain burst. And my final poem today is a haiku that I wrote at the beginning of the new year. Another new year. Time to die and rise again. Shake off the ashes. Thank you all so much. And I would like to present our next poet of the evening, the wonderful and talented Eric
4: Howard. (laughs) Thank you, Helen. well, speaking of, you mentioned age and all that, and I was thinking, oh, I'm so old. I remember when this was, this place was Chatterton's, and I'm so old, and I'm so old. And, <laughs> you know, because I was also thinking of the poem I'm about to read, which is, goes back a ways um, to, uh, it came about because one day I was thinking, you know, I actually knew a pimp who drove a Cadillac. Um, it was a Cadillac Cimarron, and... You know, he ran boys, but he was still, you know, it's still true. So I wrote a poem about that called uh, Moses Didn't Want My Help. After surgeons raided Daddy Most thighs for quadruple bypass, he told me it isn't all about you when I asked why he hadn't called. He let Jake help him pull his pantyhose on, never his thing, and stopped calling me for rides, complaining, why you gotta drive so much sugar. Before he died, he'd cruise his Cadillac Cimarron out to Santa Monica to watch the sunset into the ocean between him and a promised land of bars with go-go boys. How he liked being free when California let his person go to a halfway house with a barewood floor down by Alvarado and Third, near where a de- dealer's hollow point bit Jake's shoulder and ate Mo's house just off Selma with the porch filled with failed Shakespeare Company props, fake swords and stained pine and red velvet chairs where Moira, the alcoholic driver, and the day's boy drank until the hills called for an audition. Mo drew my naked feet and Jake Yelled back at the people's court, the rat bastard, the greasy rat bastard. I asked them the most for Henry the Fourth. Falstaff sweats to death. Jack would mock Fat Moe and lards the lean earth as he walks along. I laughed at Daddy Moe. I pitied him. And uh, another nostalgia poem. this one has some, uh, a word, bolgia, which is from Dante's Inferno, the terraces of hell, the ring terraces of hell, and it has a little Latin in it too, which is just Latin for goodbye. Um, so it's to, um this house I owned in Silver Lake was on uh, a terraced lot with lots of different levels, um, steep hill, um, and I talked to the house in the poem. It's called To the Terrace House. It was good to see your guts knocked out. Enough to, seal f- enough to fill six truck containers and a new house rise from your frame after selling your aluminum-sided earthquake-crooked fuggliness. I regret kicking everyone out of you, the drunk punk and the lame director, the wannabe PA who slept in your shed, drummer girl, a crackhead, a family, and finally me, your cracks in which silverfish, ants, and roaches trafficked are gone like the black widow that charged out between my eyeballs as I wrenched your drain. No more crawlies with countless knees that wave like misfit mohawks still living you to complicate the porn shoot 500 bucks for your bills where I learned the proper rolling of extension cords. Goodbye shed that no band played in. Soundproof too late to get drummer girl back. I am grateful for your coffee pot and happy pills. Work by 8.30. Boss says Saturday 2. Three million words by Greasy Thanksgiving's Greasy Duck. I cooked for her just once. I respect your 70 shag carpet that my demented cat used as a toilet. Thank you, overflowing toilets, retaining walls that didn't, and water heater that puked to death and curled the floor. Goodbye surrealist bathroom and refrigerator, and Sor Juana Inés de la Cruz, the hunchback iguana, raised on burritos and diets bright. For your mortgage, I taught English 96 at the local CC, more students than chairs the first night. Bless my evaluator's bourbon breath. I bid goodbye to the neighbor's spite fence, everyone who lived in you, teacher, mother, faith healer, in-betweener, picked from the fruit trees of your Bolgia. Goodbye, smoking air conditioner, unplumbed doors and untrue floors, house plants dying and galvanized buckets and 436,000 escrow fuckets. I miss Roger, Sticky Nicky, and Chuckles, who came to collect from the psycho Satanist Playboy model Severina, who was already gone after getting high in the bathtub. The bullet hole I put in your kitchen wall is gone. I washed away the red paint, dye, and dog hair pentacle from your broken gown. From the chair on your porch, I contemplated the snow tire on a wheel that bounded through the glass door and thumped twice, studs ripping carpet before going through a window and down the hill. A burglar took a boombox through that window after it was fixed. Goodbye, your bedroom The drummer girl didn't come back to till morning When I left for work and she cranked hooker with a penis Away acque, vale Halloween party I threw to let her go with Waking up alone on the couch Doors open, various vomits Goodbye, 300-yard restraining order Circle you and me both I'll let go of the hundred drunk attempts To have that sex again with someone else Bless the notches in the shotgun choke I pressed above my Adam's apple Brain out of reasons after a shiver one I'd cause more pain she said I loved you more than her she was love you were duty I failed both and that picture of her in my sweatshirt drumming in the album with mostly empty pages by setting it on fire and watching it turn black curl cancerous smoke below your grapefruit tree I'll let follow I'll let fall those 50 50 pound bags of gravel I shouldered down every step to the last level when the sun flexes like a drum, like a heart attack. Thank you very much. And now I'd like to introduce Sharon Venezio.
5: Hi, everyone. Thank you for coming out to Skylight today. Thank you, Eric. Um, as I was looking through the, some, some of my newer poems that um, when I was deciding what I wanted to read today, I noticed the word shadow and the word ghost appeared in almost every one of those poems. And this theme seemed to be popping up about the tangible and the intangible merging and how our emotions settle into our bodies and how that affects our bodies and vice versa. So there might be some of that and some of those words in these poems. I'm going to start though with a poem from my book. This is about a psychology class that I took as an undergraduate. Psychology 402, Brain and Behavior. When I discover I have to dissect a sheep's brain, I go down the hall to animal behavior and plead my case, but it's too late. I'll have to pry my way through the four ventricles, push pins through gray matter, and breathe formaldehyde through a useless white mask. I hold the brain in my awful hands, make an incision at the base of the cerebellum, Place a red pin in the pineal gland, a green pin in the amygdala. Here's where it feels joy. Here's where it feels fear. Here's where it remembers the beautiful dying stars. So, I'm going to move on to some newer poems. This next one is called Extinction. It's a kind of a quick poem. Every season, flocks of hunters raise their rifle to the sky. No mercy in a bird's wing, no mercy in the wild. Forget the whooping crane on its first migration. Forget the blazed air where you and I stood. Watch them rise from their shadows. Mercy the bullet, mercy the sky. Forget them, forget you. Let's say the last spark of yes was dusted away. Let's say I was the rifle, you the crane. Let's say it never happened. This next poem is about Mark Rothko, the painter, and uh, he said towards the later part of his life that he wouldn't talk about his paintings anymore, that words weren't accurate enough descriptions that if you wanted to understand the work, you had to just look at it and be with it. So this poem kind of addresses that a little bit for Rothko begins with an outline of a person, a curved line, a circle, then an X over the whole thing starts over. No body, no frame, just rooms of color pulsating against each other like earth and sky. A window of blue opens upward, blurs into orange. This is breathing. Look how yellow is eaten by red, nothing left but a burning house, a mouth speaking. This is remembering. His name no longer a word, white cloud over purple, breaks open into blue, yellow, green on red, unhinges, is an instrument to unword the mind hovers in between like an eye closing over a rectangular field of light. This last poem I wrote, um, my cat died about three months ago and I wrote this a few weeks afterwards. And uh, my friend who's mentioned is here. It's called, Sadness Settles in Objects That Don't Move. Rearrange the furniture. Move the vase to the other side of the room. Change the photographs on the wall. My friend came over the day after my cat died. Walked through the room like a house cleaner, disassembling the quiet. Each arrangement, a new life. She said, objects have shadows, like an image burned into paper during exposure. If you stand still long enough, crows will gather in your hair. Grief is restless. It paces, turns, transforms the material of the world. Couch, coffee table, mug. I praise these ghosts and shadows, as true as skin and bone, as true as a stone turned into sand, turned into ocean. Thank you, everyone. Next up, we have the wonderful Tina Yang.
6: Hi, everyone. On this beautiful spring, April afternoon in Skylight Books, I am very, very honored to be here as part of Writers at Work. Thank you, Skylight. Thank you, Terry and Writers at Work. Um, do I tilt this a bit without breaking it? Okay. All right. Um And thank you everyone who loves poetry and loves words and stories for coming out today. I will read uh, three poems in 2012. um, I was lucky enough to have my first publication in this anthology. It's titled, um, the anthology is called It's Animal But Merciful. And I've asked Skylight if they still carry copies of it. They don't. So if you like my poem and want to buy it, please go online. I have to shell for them. Great Weather for Media is the publisher. And I am on page 88, which a Chinese friend pointed out is um, the luckiest number in Chinese numerology. So here's to fortune and riches? No. Um, (laughs) uh, And my my poem is titled, Why My Mother, the Bald-Headed Nun, Rejected Me. When my mother was small, that bamboo stick the math teacher bore down on her flat top head with a sharp crack like gum chew knocked the numbers from her head as well as her hairpiece was what my grandmother, her mother, told me growing up. It was his fault, grandmother said, as if all the yam leaves my mother forced herself to devour (coughs) wouldn't have bleached her olive-toned skin and her illegitimacy any other way, but at least they grew her hair back. My mother, the belle of the ball, before she gave up her rough countryside tongue for the smooth egg salad of Americanese, she would eat cherry pie. She called out at raucous bingo games, laughed loudest with prim republicans, grew her thick moonlit tresses down to her waist, then rejected a Caltech graduate with body odor like mildew. He went on to be the Bill Gates of China and married a woman who stuffed her nose with tissues and called him pretty. My father had his pick of ladies in tight dresses and brought my mother a box of chocolates before knocking her up, all 145 pounds, 4 foot 9 of her. She saw the Buddha one day, shining like crude yellow gold from a dead fish's eye, only to realize that there was life developing in her. Working graveyard shift as a computer technician in the late 70s put the drag queen makeup on her face while her belly swelled and her husband cheated on her with all of Chinatown. Miss Taiwan, American 12th runner-up, lived 21 paces from where dogs howled from their cages and ate tomatoes carved in the shape of rabbits. By then, she was down to 85 pounds and fell asleep on her mother's waterbed chanting sutras, waking up only to tease her hair into to- coarse type poodle curls. Not yet into the Holy Land, my mother fulfilled her Confucian duty when I came out, covered in amniotic fluid, grimacing like a gargoyle." So much for the beauty of motherhood. <laughs> Excuse me. I hope everyone can hear me okay. I was told yesterday to chill out, so I'm trying to be all zen in my head and not be, you know, coffee sugar hyped up, as my husband will tell you. Um, But um, I once had a teacher who said, you know, don't write about the recent media events. So this was my first attempt to write about a famous, you know, bloody event in the news without being too, you know, emotional, and it's titled Conveyor Belt. Gunman, age 23, opens fire. Wanted to kill TSA agents and pigs, reads one blaring headline. Why would he want to do that, cried the dried out Oscar Mayer stuffed sausage roll to the other as they stopped their ceaseless rolling on the conveyor belt for the day. The attending airport store person, having been evacuated, sent running towards the Sepulveda tunnel. Why does anyone have anything against pigs that they'd want to slaughter us? It's nothing personal, calmly replies the other. Nothing we can do about stopping the cycle. What can we do? Write to Senator Dianne Feinstein and demand our rights yet again? There's nothing we can do about the grandmother killing drones either. Planes gotta swim and people gotta eat and today it wasn't us. Thank you everyone again for Having the patience and sitting here listening to me. Wow, Um, (laughs) I really enjoy these moments and they're so special. And um, my last poem is titled, Beautiful. And I want to dedicate this to Michael, my husband. Hey, and the squatty imitation, Rhett Butler winks big. I wheel around, glare defiantly. I give him the finger. Years later, the guy with a jagged bowl cut, tan bomber jacket emerges from the darkness one inky night. You have the kind of face I want to rub all over and lick, he says. Wide hips, marry me. I'm tall, dark, and some say, oh, you will just pass for cute. Revolted, I run hide down in a library basement till closing time. Maybe it was seeing the sharp features soften like spring awakening, you leaning on your elbows, whisper, beautiful, you're so beautiful. My God, how beautiful you are. Your long fingers delicately trace my forehead to my chin. Under your gaze of wonder, I withdraw into myself, the rotund girl, like a woman retreating down a chilly cul-de-sac, but looking back, the street lamp lights turning her eyes amber. Thank you. And now it is my privilege to introduce my dear friend Dylan Gailey.
7: Thank you, Tina. Well, first let me start by saying thank you to Skylight Books. Um, Special thank you to Terry Wolverton and all the members of Poets at Work. Without your support, um, I would be mute and somewhat adrift, I think. (laughs) And thank you all in the audience for joining us today in celebration of National Poetry Month. Today I'm opening with a couple of poems that express my appreciation for the musical quality that I love so much about poetry. They are are lyrical in style and use a form known as a cut-up poem which involves literally pulling words from just about any source of language. I have poet Robert L. Brewer's collection Solving the World's Problems to thank as a source for these first two poems. At the end of the first poem, titled, Naked, I used the word feral, which in the Latin refers to a metal ring or bracelet. Naked. Ravens praise our ache to make promising our fumblings before the sun scatters fire and the moon's motives melt into a new awareness. We ask why stars fall. We curse because it is the end at which we find ourselves, naked, wearing nothing, save a feral of bells. Worlds Apart. In the park, statues watched as children bent into whispers. Remember tales when Sand surrounded water. Twilight resisted night. Stars recalled fire. Snow claimed branches. Birds fell silent. In the city, God stood bending into darkness. Voice rattled as Wanting feigned love. Hand crushed skin. Summer dropped copper. Guns, scattered, laughter, death, sentenced, sky. I have another poet to thank for this next poem. Jim Zimmerman, whose 20 little poetry projects goes as, is a go-to remedy for me, uh, for my writer's block. By developing a series of 20 prompts to which the poet responds, a range of poetic possibilities seems to burst out onto the scene with the exciting and often, often surprising results. An example, number one, begin with a metaphor. Number thirteen, make the character in the poem do something they couldn't really do in real life. Number eighteen, use a phrase from a language other than English. In this poem, It Is Not As It Seems, I use ab eterno, which translated in the Latin means from eternity. It is not as it seems. It is the unseen sighted, like the overexposed, washed out. To the sea, where it churns butter from the teats of a dolphin. It is the taste of ice against a parched palate. It is the ghostly wave of heat dancing a rumba above roofs of tin, crying out for an end to the drought. It is the sun's refusal to sleep, laughs instead at the night of unscented candles burning beneath the Vatican City and Pope Francis the Jesuit prays for it to rain. It is the sun howling because we fear death and feel by now that Christ's feet are tender and cold to the touch. It is the feet of Lord Christ that are warmed by drops of blood and sips of port from Skid Row. It is all of us hung and framed as reverse transparencies of humanity's mugshot. It and with each sin committed, it comes back round to another earth-bound soul, unsaved. Pearls in hand, it waves. Jive, Judas, go for it. Do it for the greater good. <laughs> it looks at me like I'm a side dish it didn't order.
4: <laughs>
7: Meanwhile, the anguished waiter wept in its shadows hidden underneath the strained ribs of a blue parasol shade. Patrons whisper, it is a woman for whom he weeps. I am wide-eyed, and it wouldn't hurt her. In time, it will not matter. So there it is. And here we are, out in the open air, lingering, all mass, no ether, no rising above it, ab eterno. It is alluring how the sun, moon, and sometimes Venus, our creators, cast us out to the streets, throwing us up against our concrete existence. Yet there it is, in black and white, then gone again, with only an echo of laughter remaining. Thank you very much. It's my pleasure to welcome Yvonne M. Estrada.
0: Thank you. Is this working? Yes. I, for one, am glad that Dylan is not mute or adrift. (laughs) That was great. Um, Thank you for coming. Thank you for moving the microphone. And I will be reading four poems today. The first one is called Being Taught. The dead, he says, are the ones that are lucky. Columbus lost his way to China. Who got lucky? God uses bioweapons that wipe out indigenous, makes room for new world settlers. Who's not lucky? What's all that Christian oil doing under all those Muslims? It's a privilege to fight for it, honorably killed by zealots. Lucky. Beloved Guru says the dead are the lucky ones. I die and live countless times. Each of my deaths have brought luck. Blankets infected with smallpox, Hiroshima, 9-11, Columbine, Newtown, Our cruelest illusions, our luck. This is called The Raw of Empty. Because she is black ink on pink canary white paper certified psychotic, she gets a discount on birth control and cigarettes. There is not enough nicotine or semen in the world to fill her. Before the dismal ashtray bottom gray and brown lockdown facility, she was wildly fertile. Against her choice, her parents dragged her to the Christian standing outside abortion clinic seven times. Also against her wishes, her parents came to visit. She would scream until they left. When they saw her last, she was in the planter below her room broken in every direction. She had unlocked the old wrought iron bars. Let's change it up. Bird watching. How we are like them. Nests. Prepare an abode for one's young. Twigs for the frame. Tree bark or paper even hair for insulation, first and last month's rent, security deposit, ridiculously expensive name brand speak sneakers, video games, refrigerator, health insurance. How we should be more like them. Parenting, regurgitating our semi-digested food into our offspring's demanding non-stop screeching throats until one day they learn that they can fly and go get their own fresh food (laughs) and this last poem uh, was accepted by a magazine recently called Talking Writing and it was uh, for a tribute to Muriel Rukeyser and I was honored that that they would choose my poem for her especially and it's called In the Balance In a dark blue dawn downtown, a man asks for change. My seven-year-old son watches me dig in a pocket. He asks, why did you give him money? I hold my breath while answers slide off the heap of reasons I could use to explain charity, poverty, loss, due unto others, or karma. His perfect needs-to-know face waits. I check with the sky. 6 a.m. and morning star holds a cosmic scale. In one pan our gas station, old muscle car, mother and son. The other pan will be filled with the words I say. Destitute people my son will encounter and future actions he will take. My response rushes out with my exhalation because he doesn't have any and we do. He nods like a monk, absorbs the weight of this. I watch him change. His young heart expands and his world levels out for a time. Thank you. And now I would like to introduce to you, the one and only, Kay Sundstrom. Hi. Thank you all for coming.
8: Thanks Skylight. Thank Terry and everyone in my class for writing what you write and for being who you are. Jane Gray, was an unwilling 17-year-old royal in the Tudor court who was forced to be a queen. She was queen for nine days and was executed a month later. Jane Grey. She only wanted to read. She bit off words, specks of pepper, pomegranate seeds, and juniper berries to purge the litany of father, oh father. Instead, She was pricked, prodded, stubborn filly, slapped and jabbed, with needle, spiteful as a court lady's wit. Not unusual. When she laughed or sewed, danced or spoke, God's satyr and grace stiffened her spine. Her tongue, a lead bird in her mouth, singing, Yes, Father, who art me on the throne? a drone of honey threaded with hemlock. I think myself in hell, she wrote. She rather had Latin than the crowings of a lying sly court. But books would not give her power, they told her. These old men who pinch a seventeen-year-old girl's head with a crown round as a clock. Eleven days. How many provenes could she have danced in the tower? Each gesture as stately as the possession to the axe. When she laid her head upon the block, her eyes blindfolded, seeing only a blanche whiteness that could be filled with black script. Finally, she had power. Every word she tasted filled her mouth. Her tongue lith as a hummingbird's wing. She was the word. She was the world. One of the things that runs through my poetry is my fascination with the creation of language, the evolution of a language, and the beauty of a language. Speaking. If found unchaste, a Vestal Virgin would be buried alive, dirt becoming her speech. But instead of the honor of an unending fire to tend, I have pills. They are shaped to be the same, dull moons of grainy sand. If I wanted, I could fill my mouth with death. Each pill slithering down my throat, some dull poisonous snake. In circuses they juggle snakes, glittering hoops, a pat or a whirr so darting it no longer means anything. Eve sits transfixed, plain cotton dress, faded apple green in the wooden stands. She was given a special invitation. She waits for the finale. The applause, the snakes no longer hoops, but hush still lines to be woven into her hair. She waits for the spiel to end. With cat-sharp teeth, geeks bite off the heads of chickens. A flurry of feathers, blood, and shrill shouts from the crowds. The greets gunk, the geeks grunts, become the clouds language their mouse now pools of blood I count my pills on the TV screen glossy smiling ads say take our pills even if a side effect its death they have created a new language intricate list of potentialities but we damaged We'll always find new words, etch trindles of meaning, utter guttural brays, until our mouths become open m- moons, and we no longer want. My last poem, Roshav's Block. Spiders and bears and misshapen trees, where well, the swollen fruit drops, it burst into wren wings. Salamander tails shiver the color of bruised bones. It tastes so sweet, the tip of a beak. With a straight pin, I peck at my arms. A pollock of blood, swarms of carnelian bees. Sweet, sweet stings, the poison sings. They say hallucinations. The Saints had visions, all the oxen free they call, running through the orchids, the evening air loosening a grace note of despair. There once was an apple, and it was bitten, poor thing, all hell broke loose. Tell me what you see, he asked, white. I say hospital sheep, seagull fluff, porcelain doll faces, albino snails, you must not slash, you must not smash. Why means purity, I say. Oh good, good girl. No, look at the dark thing. But I am the dark thing. Ali, ali oxen free. Thank you. And I'm very happy to introduce our next poet, the talented Brett Guitar Holfer.
9: Thank you. So the first poem today is called Vertigo. The cruelest species is the audience. Once so willing to love you, then as willing to forget. Carving your face to hold their gaze becomes conversation for amusement. No matter how deep the cut or tightly you are pulled it will not quell their taste for blood. Lenses illumination shoots both ways once celebrated for your beauty, now as plastic disaster victim. In the distant memory of the camera, you are remembered how you shimmered and shined. How you shimmered and shined just right when you hit your mark. The next poem I brought today was written for the poet and novelist Richard Brodigan, who was the author of The Pill versus the Spring Hill Mine Disaster and Trout Fishing in America. The title of this poem is The Distance Between Santa Fe, New Mexico and Bolinas, California is 1179.9 miles. I read a poem of yours today about watching a beautiful girl cooking bacon in Santa Fe. I am guessing you might have had sex or or perhaps were already in love, maybe on the road to falling in love. There's no solid evidence of this in the poem, but it is morning and you are watching a beautiful girl in Santa Fe cooking bacon. Those seem like... Cu- those seem like clues to me. Signposts, if you will, on the road to another book cover with a woman you were in love with on it, immortalized until of course your heart is broken or you fall out of love or write another book. I have had the book I have had this book on this day for over thirty years. You were on the cover alone, not with one of your girlfriends. Your hair is touching your shoulders. This fact concerns me. Not the hair, but the fact that you are alone on the cover, although in hindsight, a shorter haircut might have been a better choice. But it was 1976, and the world was adrift with bad haircuts. It was when books like yours, real book-sized books, although paper-bound, were $2.95 plus tax. In this book, the pages have turned the color of weak, lukewarm tea that might have been sipped and set aside during a case of the flu. Small black words floating delicately like escaped stray leaves of oolong or jasmine, offering any tea reader worth anything cautionary clues of what was to come. When looking back, it is common to search for clues. I have lived long enough to understand this now, and I do so often. I do not, however, see any clues in this poem. There is nothing to suggest that you would die by your own hand in Bolinas, California, that you would put a gun to your head in front of a large picture window in the living room overlooking the Pacific that no one would, sorry, over the Pacific, and no one would find your body for over a month. And when they did, it would be a private investigator, not even a friend. This is simply not present in this poem. I am fairly certain on this June afternoon, 24 years later, that I am the only person in the world writing a poem based on these clues, other than perhaps a teacher in Japan who changed his name to Trout Fishing in America. But it is 2.30 in the morning in Japan and he is most likely sleeping or making love to his girlfriend or passing through the automatic silver doors on that last bullet train home before dawn. When I traveled to Japan last year I had the good fortune to coincide with cherry blossom season and I was unaware that some of the trees, I believed that they were all going to be pink, but some were actually white, and those trees were called Yoshino cherry trees. And this poem is called Yoshino. I watched spring in Japan coax green from the f- from the throats of sinewy bare trees, black architecture. White blossoms, so delicate in their beauty, they seemed to be carved from falling snow. Standing at the window, I thought of you, my dear white dead dog, as blooms taken by the wind, scattered and blew away. Thanks for listening. Our next reader today is Kim Dower.
10: Wow, that was beautiful. Everybody, you know, I'm happy to be last before Terry because I want to say that um, these poems that you're hearing today, they were all born in Terry's workshop. Like they were little baby bird poems, you know, and um, today they're all dressed up. But it's amazing to go every Saturday morning and you you hear these brand new pieces of work and we say what we say and sometimes people listen and sometimes they don't but the poems evolve and then they become grown up poems for the world. So um, it's really a nice thing. So I'm going to read a poem that I've never read out loud before. Uh, I have two books as Terry said and um, Everything in the books, or most everything, was created or worked on in that class. So that's very exciting. This one was too, but uh, I'm going to read it today for the first time. It's called Fontanelle. And uh, Fontanelle, for those of you who don't know, is a very soft spot in the skull when a, baby, when a fetus is forming. And then when, when it's a baby, it's, it's the last thing to close in the skull. Fontenelle. He's so lucky, the brain doctors tell me, huddled in white, their names embroidered in blue script across their chests. My grown son sprawled across the hospital bed, tubes, needles sticking into his body, twined around him like veins through a parched leaf. I can't look at him, his mouth crusted, unfocused eyes that yesterday lit up the room, now his skull fractured, same head I used to hold in one hand, his legs rocking my arm to sleep. Infants' heads are so soft, easy to rupture, brains still forming. I can't look at him now, his giant hands, filth baked under his nails from scratching the gutter where he fell off the back of a car. Of course, he shouldn't have been sitting on the trunk of a car, but you see, they will do things. They will do things that can hurt, and we have to watch. And when I see him in that bed, hooked up to machines beeping instructions to the nurse, making noise like garbage trucks on collection day. I have to look away. Cover my eyes like he did when he was three, afraid to see the flying monkeys in the Wizard of Oz. He'd run screaming into my lap. Where is it now, the Emerald City? Where can I get the courage to uncover my eyes, see the blood ooze from his ear, walk over to his bed, whisper, I'm here. It'll be okay. You're lucky, the doctors say, but all I can think is what if it hadn't gone this way. Luck, the slippery slope of miracles, unpredictable, fragile as a fontanelle. Soft luck running out from the moment we're born. There you go. (laughs) He's good now. He's fine. (laughs) I could not read that poem (laughs) until we knew that he was. But, you know, he gets stupid haircuts now, but that's about the worst thing that happens. (laughs) So, um, I thought, well, after that, should I read a really funny one or just keep it going really sad? So, um, I didn't know what to read for the second poem, but I'm going to read a poem from Slice of Moon that, uh, I also have never read out loud, actually. But, um... I think that we all write about our obsessions, the same things over and over and over, just different poems, same obsessions. And we also write about the things we're afraid of. Uh, and one of the things that I'm afraid of is driving on the freeway. And for all my good friends, uh, they know I, won't, I don't drive on the freeway. And I'm sick of people saying, what's wrong with you? Why don't you drive on the freeway? Um, so... And the other thing is, I remember the book I read that made me want to live in L.A. a million years ago was Play It As It Lays by Joan Didion. And just last week I was in this bookstore and I bought a copy of Play It As It Lays and I'm rereading it now and it's, she's got all those great scenes about driving to the desert and I wanted to be grown up like Mariah and drive on the freeway to the desert and I've never done it. (laughs) In the land of freeways, she takes streets. Because she doesn't like crossing over one lane to another, her foot controlling the gas, gripping the shaky wheel that wants to veer to the right. She doesn't like getting where she's going so fast, unsure how she got there or why. She likes city streets, routes the buses take, Or the slow, ratty cars that snake around corners, wipers on by mistake, scraping soot on their old blades, brakes screeching in slow motion. She likes getting lost downtown, an abandoned bridge, street lamps piercing the fog, overfed crows perched above, peering down into her car while she sits at a light that might last till dawn. In the land of freeways, she takes the streets. She may be in a hurry, but doesn't want to die. Green signs in her face, Hollywood 101, Pasadena, next four exits, right lane only, off-ramps, on-ramps, billboards for casinos, mountain ranges sneaking up behind her, a faraway Ferris wheel rolling into a cloud. She takes streets because she likes to stop at each light, see a woman push a stroller, small boy's feet sticking out, his big brother lagging behind, lunchbox opened, cheese sandwich stomped by the crossers. Streets may not take her to the desert catch sight of a jackrabbit being born fully furred, eyes wide open, nor to Big Bear 7,000 feet up the mountain, meet friendly professionals, breathe clean air, hold a snowball in her thick gloved hands but streets can take her to the beach down the California incline and right up to the sand where she can bury her feet and wonder who needs freeways? Not her. She's already at the edge." And I'm going to end with a poem. I'm very proud. I have these postcards. But Yvonne and I, there was a contest um, to send a poem in and the winners are going to have posters made of their poems and uh, in in storefronts and it's very exciting and it's, it's called Poetry in the Windows. I, Ask them to send me extras. So I'm, I'm going to, we'll hand them out, but you all have to go to the Poetry Walk on Saturday, April 19th at 2 p.m. I have no idea in God's name where this is. Someone's <laughs> going to have to drive me. <laughs> I don't take the freeway. But um, the poem that was chosen is from my first book, Air Kissing on Mars, and it's called Green is the New Pink. <laughs> Happy is the new stupid. (laughs) Depressed is the new smart. Vodka is the new ice cream. Gelato is the new sex. Sex is the new heroin. Heroin is the new vacation. Sunset is the new fountain. Gay is the new straight. Green is the new pink. Pink is the new black. Death is the new death. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I'll leave this one. So it is my great honor, it's all of our honor, to introduce Terry Wolverton, uh, who makes every Saturday morning um, very exciting and liberating and uh, it just makes you think for two hours every Saturday morning when normally you might not be thinking at all. And uh, Terry Wilverton, our wonderful teacher, I call her the poem whisperer. She understands all of our poems when we don't. So,
2: Terry Wilverton. Thank you. Hey, 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 I didn't see. Wow. Um there there are a few more of you than when I was last up here. A um, couple people have talked about Robert Lee Brewer today, um, who wrote a book called Solving the World's Problems. And he did like the most brilliant book marketing ploy of all. He said, I'm going to have a contest. take any poem in my book and rewrite it or do anything you want to it, and send it to me, and one of you will win five hundred dollars. So um, isn't that great? Because, of course, to work with his poems, you have to buy his book, right? <laughs> so um, so I did. And this first poem, takes the words from the table of contents of his book. And my poem is titled Origami Portrait. When I was a witch, I buried my dreams between the church and midnight. You learned the poem of me by accident watching my anatomy When I was a man-eater, you placed apples and tomatoes on my pillow, a small bomb in a pin cushion. I overlooked our silences. When I was the fox, you were scared to follow me into the arboretum. Forest of noises set you running, the last trees listened. When I was Betty, you dared me to go into the city alone. I loved the traffic and the parking lots, the snow days sparking. Always I was becoming and unbecoming, a reflection on the water, a problem to be solved, a modern curse. When I was an Eskimo, I found miracles mirrored in the ice and stars. We were a couple of morning spirits melting cold, bright towers. When I was a totem, I saw the wild-eyed world as my fortune cookie. You looked like murder on a someday night. We never ended. My next poem is titled Imaginary City. What remains of the imaginary city I am from? Have you forgotten its crescent architecture, its industrial reign, the Saturday night fandangos through fitful traffic? Have you swept away all the errant vows, broken like teacups in an empty basement, music of afternoon leaves? I suppose it was hard enough to dream the colorless moon floating heavy above its dusty river. We gathered at water's edge to drink in languorous clouds passing orange in the syrupy sky to lick softly the last hope from the plate of asking and contemplation. When did the itchy allure of meaning fall into the detritus of long years? Do you remember I fluttered my frayed finery, threads hung with favorite toys like tiny charms, a dress of breeze and light? Flipped my green hat. We were spoons whispering by the stove under a table of sky. And my last poem is Suspended. It's a cold day for the karma parade. Everyone holds umbrellas against the rain But the river is on fire again, and no one can promise it won't explode. Still, the president is on a giraffe, and people think, what's that guy doing? So we are distracted in our burning world. I'm up on a ladder twirling, a ridiculous girl, hungry for pie and ceremony, devoted to bad jokes, my bed a balloon, a whole city rising in morning light, but at sunset the desert gathers, drips into my mouth. I can tell the future with my toothaches but did not predict the long hours of waiting on top of the roof for the wrong parade. The hours are burnt toast The coffee like rain. And karma keeps flirting with the wrong girl. Someone soft, open, big, hipped, wide, angled. Her teeth cracked, her grittier song held back. Thank you.